0: There are, um, there, are, there are definitely times in our lives, aren't there, where, uh, where trusting in God's promises is, uh, is particularly difficult. You know, uh, situations where, where to trust his word seems counterintuitive. Uh, it, it, it just seems to go against the grain of reality. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, for, for, for example, um, it's hard to trust God's promises when our prayers seem to go unanswered causes us to doubt, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to trust his promises when our circumstances are particularly challenging, when we want to go one way and, and, and we're not sure whether we should. Um, and, and that's because those kind of situations, they expose our fears um, or our anxieties um, or, or just our impatience, um, and they make it so easy for us to imagine that we need to take matters into our own hands instead. And I think that's what's going on here um, in, in chapter 16, and as we'll see, it has, it has disastrous results. Um, see, we, we might reasonably expect, you know, after the events of the last few chapters, if you've been tuning in, um, we might expect that Abram and Sarai's faith in, in God's promises now is going to be like sky high. Remember, God's made this, this momentous threefold promise to Abraham back in chapter 12, hasn't he? And of course, with, with our New Testament glasses on, we know this is a gospel promise. It's a promise to put right what humanity's sin has messed up, ultimately. It's a promise through one descendant of Abraham, the Lord Jesus, to build a new people, his, his church, a great multitude from all the nations, uh, to live in God's place in, in, in heaven, his new creation, uh, under God's rule and, and enjoying God's blessing. That, that's where it's all heading, of course. That's the final fulfilment of God's promise through the, through the personal work of Jesus. But, of course, part of the initial fulfilment of God's promise through, through Old Testament Israel involves God taking Abram and making him into the father of a great nation, which, to state the blindingly obvious, means that Abram needs kids. You know, that's an essential part of the promise, Uh, isn't it? You can't father a great nation with no kids. Um, But of course, that's not a problem, is it? Because God has repeatedly promised him kids. Chapter 12, verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Chapter 13, verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 5, so shall your offspring be, says God, as he invites Abram to count the stars, if he can, up in the sky. So, so God really couldn't have made himself clearer, could he? He has promised Abram offspring. This guy's going to have kids. And, and after the faith-boosting events of the last few chapters, we'd imagine that, that, that Abram and Sarai's trust in God's promise now is going to be through the roof. Oh, sure, you know, chapter 12, uh, their faith gets tested, doesn't it? And, and they fail uh, spectacularly, if you remember. They, they not only leave Canaan, where, where God had sent them to go to Egypt because of the famine, uh, but then they lie. They lie about Sarai being Abram's wife, and so she's taken by Pharaoh as his wife, and, and all because Abram's faith in God's promise failed. Failed in the face of, of fear, fear of what Pharaoh might do. But, of course, since then, chapter 13, Abram has responded to his failure of faith, hasn't he, with repentance and renewed faith. And also God has sought to strengthen Abram's faith by by getting him to look, do you remember, north and south and, and east and west, and then reiterating his promise to him, all the land that you can see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever and that's all before we got to chapter 15 last time where where god not only restates the promise yet again to to abram but he he confirms the promise doesn't he with this this graphic visual aid of of him walking alone through these these cut up animals <laughs> it's to to kind of indicate to abram that if god doesn't keep his his promises may he be cursed and cut up like like these animals are so it's it's god's unilateral unconditional covenant commitment to keep his promises isn't it so so surely you know Abram's faith in God's promises is they can face any situation now can't they with utter trust Mm, not really Um, because here in chapter 16 we see their faith stumble again and and in a situation that despite how it appears is actually not so very unlike the situations that we face too in the tough realities of of our lives and so there's a warning uh, i think that's implicit through this a warning for all people of faith children of faith like like abraham and like and like us and it's the warning i guess the apostle paul puts it in 1 corinthians 10 12 if you think you're standing firm well take heed that you don't fall uh, and if you look at verse 1 um, of uh, chapter 16, you, you can see the situation that they're in, can't you? Chapter opens with it. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So Abram's got repeated promises, but he's got no kids. And and this is an issue, actually, the writer of Genesis wanted us to know about way before that, that the promise to Abram was even made. So, so back in chapter 11, verse 30, he tells us, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. But but the fact that his wife was unable to have children hasn't stopped God from promising uh, children to him repeatedly. But, but Abram's been waiting and waiting and, and nothing has happened. Now, of course, you expect a bit of a wait, don't you? Um, but notice in verse 3, it's now been 10 years since they first obeyed God's call and moved to Canaan. And, and you know, when you're when you no know spring chicken... <laughs> Um, and actually, you've got a history of not being able to conceive. Well, despite having promises of children, those are going to seem like 10 incredibly long years, aren't they? We, we, can, we can actually imagine that being especially painful, I think, for Sarai. You know, I'm, I'm sure she would often, in, in her younger years, have, have struggled with this. You know, struggled in, in their culture, struggled with, with feelings of failure. I think of not being able to give to Abram the children that, that were such a a crucial thing in the ancient world for giving you your status your your place in society, all of those things were tied up with your your dynasty, your family line and and I guess that they, as a couple had you know like people do today had had been forced to come to terms with the the, the desperate sadness of, of of infertility but but then you know kind of slowly, painfully. They they they'd got to the stage of life where I guess any hope of having children had faded. And and then with the the promise of chapter twelve their, their hopes had been raised again. But that was ten years ago. You can just imagine, can't you, how every time every time Sarai hears that that restatement of God's promise, it just kind of piles the pressure on. Even more, causes her to blame herself. We can really feel for her here, can't we? Indeed, some of us may be able to specifically identify with her situation others of us will identify with a situation maybe of similar magnitude this is one of the tough realities of life isn't it and and i think we can empathize and, and so what does she do well well here's our first heading look verses one to six she comes up with a human solution to obtain god's promises Uh, Have a look at verse 1 again. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, we might be a bit shocked (laughs) by Sarai's solution to their problem here. But but I think it's worth bearing in mind that in the surrounding cultures of, of Abram's day, this was actually a pretty commonplace solution to the issue of of infertility. So so people today uh, might go on an IVF programme or they might seek to adopt. But but what happened back then, particularly in in more wealthy families, was that the wife's servant was given to the husband so that she could provide the husband with the all-important children and and heirs. So so children of the servant being regarded as children of her mistress, Sarai. The point being that, that, that Sarai's proposal here was, culturally speaking, not anything particularly unusual or radical. It was, it was normal, uh, acceptable behavior in, in the cultures around them. And, and so it's perhaps not especially unusual that Sarai should have suggested it, and neither that unusual that Abram should have agreed to it. In, in fact, I'm sure his, his motivation for agreeing to it was not because he, he lusts after Hagar, but actually because he wants what God promised him. And so maybe this is the way to make it happen. In other words, in some ways, what Sarai proposes here makes perfect sense. You know, maybe God's been waiting for them to to realise that this is the way He's going to bring about what He promised. So let's give it a go. You know, let's push the door and see what happens. So, so what we've got here is we've got God's people trying to obtain God's promise. But, of course, there's a lot more going on under the surface, isn't there? Uh, I wonder if you noticed Sarai's hint of blaming God in verse 2. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Do you see? It's, it's his fault. Well, uh, notice, too, how Sarai seems to tempt Abram in, into seeing things her way and how Abram, verse 2, listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, husbands... Uh, hear me right I'm not saying here at all that it's a bad thing to listen to the voice of your wife I could could get into serious trouble for saying something like that couldn't I (laughs) but but there's there's actually a general point here for for all of us men men and women I think that that we, we we should be aware shouldn't we that it can be even through listening to the voice of those we love that we can be misled and and maybe you recognize in the language the writer uses here Sort of echoes of Adam and Eve in the garden. Did, did you spot that? Where, where God judges Adam. Do you remember in chapter 3 verse 17? Verse because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. And, and actually that's not the only echo. Just, just as Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam, notice Sarai, verse 3, took Hagar and gave her to Abram. And and, and the point that we're being shown here, I think, is that although culturally this might have been a very normal thing to do, very acceptable in the culture, actually what what Abram and Sarai are doing here is just like Adam and Eve were doing back in the garden. They are doubting what God says and so attempting to do it their way. Verse 2, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant that I shall obtain children by her. Do you see? It's it's entirely right that they want what God promises. Where they go wrong is taking matters into their own hands in order to achieve it. What, What on the surface of it seems to make sense from the culture's perspective is actually exposed by the narrator here as being an attempt to kind of hurry God up. To to obtain his promises now by by taking matters into their own hands. Doing it themselves instead of waiting for God's timing. And and, and where does that lead them? They've they've taken the initiative away from God. They've sought to do it their way instead. And what what happens when they do that? Well, it leads them into sin and its consequences. Have a look at verse 4. And he went into Hagar and she conceived... And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So, so Abram takes her as a, a concubine, kind of surrogate wife and, and mother. She, she soon gets pregnant. But that hasn't resolved the situation, has it? Because although the, although the idea would be that Hagar, as a servant, would just be a, a, a surrogate mother for Sarai, actually getting pregnant where Sarai couldn't has obviously made her uh, proud. So she starts to kind of look down her nose at, at Sarai. Maybe she thinks Abram will, will look more favorably on her now because she's the one who's, who's going to give him children. Well, Sarai notices the contempt and, and she blames Abram. Look, verse 5. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And do you notice there yet another kind of echo of the Garden of Eden there? Only this time it's not the husband who blames the wife. Remember that? The woman you gave to be with me. She made me eat the fruit of the tree. She gave me the fruit of the tree. Now this time it's the wife that blames the husband. But nevertheless, it's the blame game, isn't it? All all over again. And, And what does brave Abram do? Well, he does what men could be quite good at doing sometimes, which is just refusing to take responsibility in order to have a quiet life. Verse 6, well, she's your servant. You handle it. Do what you want with her. Do you see? He's shirked his responsibility. He's, he's refused to get involved, which has left Sarai to mistreat Hagar and, and, so, and, and make her life so unbearable that she's had to run away. In other words, friends, what looked... Uh, in the world's eyes, uh, as being a sensible plan is actually shown to be a sinful plan and with sinful consequences. And and everyone has sinned here, haven't they? And everyone has been sinned against. So so yes, Sarah is the one, she's come up with a sinful scheme and then enticed her husband with it, not, not to mention a shameful treatment of Hagar, but Abram. Uh, quite apart from sinning and going with Hagar, has shown an appalling degree of cowardice and godly leadership in his, his family. Uh, and even Hagar has been shown she's not an innocent party in this either. She pulls to f- pride and, and contempt for her mistress. It's a right mess, isn't it? And, and is, as is so often the case, it's the weakest party who comes off the worst. And, and Hagar, in in the face of suffering at the hands of of Sarai is forced to flee I mean what a what a hash of it they've made what what Abram and Sarai wanted was perfectly right they wanted what God promised and that's a good thing but the trouble came because they wanted what God promised now they they weren't content to let God work out his promises in his own time and so they did their own thing in order to get them now and that's led to disaster and friends there's a real lesson in there for us isn't there that, that in, the, in the tough realities of life, our desperation can tempt us to take desperate actions. Sinful actions that attempt to, to shortcut God's timing because we want the fulfillment of those promises now. We want our desires fulfilled now. We want financial security. We want excellent health. We want peaceful relationships. We want satisfying careers. We want perfect spouses and children and friends and, and churches. We want freedom from weakness and, and besetting sins. In other words, we want heaven now. And, and when we don't get it, we, we doubt God's promises or we get impatient with Him or we get angry with Him or we get dissatisfied with him and and we forget don't we that his his promises include the promise of suffering and tribulation as we wait and groan for heaven and and salvation's fulfillment and and in forgetting that we we take matters into our own hands instead we we think this is the solution but it, it just leads to further entanglement do you see friends we're we're not so very different, are we? So, so in the light of these, these promises made to, to Abram, these verses 1 to 6, I, I think they're a kind of a, a classic example of how not to obtain God's promises, aren't they? They, they show a human solution to, to try and obtain God's promises and the right mess of it they've made. There's, there's sin everywhere in this episode, isn't there? But, you know, uh, for, for our encouragement... What I'd love us to notice next in verses 7 to 16 is that God's promises are never defeated by our sin. God's promises are never defeated by our sin. Because what God does next is give another promise. Have a look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to sure so the angel of the lord appears to hagar that phrase the angel of the lord it it crops up several times um, in genesis actually it seems from the context of most of those appearances this one included that it's not simply a representative of god so an an angel that appears but more likely a representation of god himself a manifestation of God. That, that seems to be indicated by what Hagar says in verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. Uh, for she, she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. In, in other words, she's realized, I think, that what she's seen is, is not simply a representative of God, an angel, but a representation of God. But, but kind of hang on a minute. Um, isn't it a bit strange that, that, that God should be appearing to Hagar? You know, she's not the recipient of God's promise, is she? She's the Egyptian maid. You know, why has this angel of the Lord gone, gone to her? And he, and he speaks to her. Look, verse 6, where have you come from and where are you going? Of course, he knows perfectly well where she's come from and where she's going. <laughs> and in fact, addresses her as Hagar, servant of Sarai. But, but she answers him anyway, I'm fleeing uh, from, from my mistress Sarai. To which he is told, return to your mistress, and submit to her, which I'm sure actually is not what she wanted to hear, (laughs) is it? She's effectively told to stop running away and go back to her place in Abram's household, which I think is probably the last thing she wanted to do. But notice it's not bad news, is it? Verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And he also says to him, verse 11, Look, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The name Ishmael means God hears. So uh, is this the the promise of Genesis 12, kind of reiterated to the wrong person by mistake? No, it isn't. Um, It's a new promise, isn't it? The God who has listened to your affliction, verse 11, has come down with a new promise for the unborn Ishmael. This, this son may well be born as a result of sin, but actually he receives a great promise from God, a blessing from God, actually. God is gracious to him. He's, he's looking out for him and for Hagar, his, his mother. And, and look how Hagar responds in verse 13. You are, you're a God of seeing. I, I've seen him who looks after me. Hagar's been seen and and visited and comforted in in her distress, in all of the mess. And and despite God's promises to Abram, Hagar and Ishmael, they're not forgotten. They're actually shown kindness and and mercy. And she takes this unique step of actually giving God a name. (laughs) She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees, the one who looks after me. And, and then she does what, what God had said. She, she returns to Abram's household and she bears Abram a son. Look verse verse 15. So that's job done, isn't it? Son born, blessing promised, happy ending? Um, not quite. <laughs> um, see, it's true, isn't it, that, that God has graciously brought blessing for, for Ishmael out of this sinful, this messy situation. Actually, but sin has its consequences, doesn't it? And the consequences here, look, are ones of conflict to come. Because Ishmael will be a man against the world, verse 12. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He's he's a guy who's always going to be kind of in the face of his brother. We'll see a bit more of that in in chapter 21 when when Hagar and Ishmael actually did have to, to leave and And, of course, the the conflict that started with them actually far outlived both of them, uh, didn't it? With the the Ishmaelites, if you know your Old Testament, the Ishmaelites becoming a regular sort of thorn in the side of of Israel. So, yes, there's grace, but there's still consequences to sin. But, friends, although this episode in in Abram's life is is a pretty sordid one, um, what we'll see in chapter 17 is that it doesn't jeopardize The promise of God. We'll see that despite Ishmael being the recipient of God's grace. He is nevertheless not the son of the promise. Sarai is going to provide the son. You see nothing. Not even their gross sin. Nothing can stand in the way of God's promise. He's said he will do it. And nothing can stop him from being faithful to his word. There's another son coming. And that's because Ishmael is the result of a human attempt to obtain God's promise. Whereas Isaac, who we'll hear about next time, well, he's God's solution to the promise. And it will be through him that God will move his promise forward. But what a fabulous thing, friends, isn't it? Nothing, not even our sin, can stand in the way of God doing what he promises. So how do we apply this passage to ourselves then? We've seen how Abram and Sarai have sinfully tried to obtain God's promise now using purely uh, human solution. But what is the right way? What's the right way for us to obtain God's promise? What's God's solution to obtain his promises? Uh, Maybe you could turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament. I'll I'll put some of it up on the screen as well. And uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verses 21 to 26. So this is the Apostle Paul. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically or figuratively. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. That's not an easy passage to understand, isn't it? Paul's making quite a Sort of technical uh, argument there, I, I think we haven't got a lot of time to get into the details. But what ought to be clear, at least for us, is that Paul there is using Ishmael to represent everyone who tries to obtain God's promises themselves. Do, do, do you see that? He's, he's saying that Abram's two sons stand for two ways to get God's promises. You, you've got one son, verse, uh, verse 23 uh, there, Ishmael, the son of the slave woman. And and he's born according to the flesh. In other words, he's born as a result of of Abram and Sarai's uh, uh, human solution, their sin of taking matters into their own hands. And and, and so he represents here kind of man's ways, humanity's ways to get God's promises. Things like obeying the law to do it, or things like doing stuff to kind of earn or obtain by our own merits what God promises, just like Abram and and Sarai were doing in, in our passage. But then you've got the other son, Isaac, son of the free woman. And he, verse 23, is born through promise. He's born as a result of God's promise. And and so he represents God's ways to get God's promises. In other words, by by trusting in Christ. In other words, it's those who trust in Christ who are the children of the promise. Uh, You can see the... Verses from 28 onwards there. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Uh, it's those who trust in Christ, verse 31, uh, who are the sons of Sarai, the free woman, not Hagar, the, the slave woman. So, brothers, we, he says, addressing Christians, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. In, in other words, it's by trusting in Christ that we are considered sons of Sarai rather than Hagar, and so therefore children of the promise and not children of the flesh. The, the products of God's way to get to God, not man's ways to get to God, you see? That's the point. Christians are those who come to God on the basis of trust in Christ. And because it's in Christ that the promise to Abram has its fulfilment... Well, to be a Christian is to be like Isaac was, a child of the promise, a son of Sarai, the free woman. But to come to God on any other basis is to be like Ishmael was, a child of the flesh, as it were, a child of man's ways to God, a son of Hagar, the slave that's the imagery that's going on there and what happens when you try to come to God on that basis well verse 30 look up there cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman to to attempt to obtain the promise of God through any other way than through trust in Christ is to not inherit the promise You'll be like Hagar outside the promise, the, the, the result of trying to get God's promise in, in your own way, rather than through the only way that God has provided for you to get it, which is through faith in Christ. You, you see how the how the New Testament uses this Old Testament account? It is to tell us that that although we might think there are many ways to get right with God, they all really just boil down to two ways. <laughs> There's man's way of trying to get right with God, whether through some religion or whether through good works or whatever, it doesn't really matter. And then there's God's way to get right with him, which is through faith in Christ. And Paul's point here is that only one of those ways actually works. So, friend, if you're trusting in man's ways to get right with God... If, if you're imagining that you can earn your way to obtaining God's promises, you know, through doing good stuff or religious behavior or, or whatever it might be, well, by doing that, you're actually discounting yourself from obtaining God's promises. So God's word here says, stop doing that. Whatever you do, stop doing that and instead, trust in Christ alone. To give you, as a gift, the promises of God, the salvation that is found only in him. But there's an application here as well for for those of us, most of us, I I guess, who are already Christians too, isn't there? Because isn't it just so easy for us to declare that we are trusting God whilst functionally coming back to our, our default position of trusting ourselves? Um, for example have you ever noticed yourself uh, kind of failing in some area and then trying to make up for it by sort of being a bit extra vigilant in your prayer life or you know going to growth group a bit more often or 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 something in other words doing good things but but for for bad reasons doing doing good things as compensation for something that you feel guilty about or, or because we think that God will be especially pleased with us if we do that you know, we, we can be, can't we, um, sort of hard workers in the church because we think that that will somehow earn us brownie points with, with him. Or, or we can do something that our, our sinful desire wants to do and, and think that if we do a bit of extra service afterwards or something, it will kind of balance it out. It's it's so subtle, actually, isn't it? But But although theoretically we're trusting in Christ to give us the promises of his word, actually, functionally, we can... We can so easily tip into thinking that we can achieve it in our own strength. As a, there's a kind of subtle shift in trust that's going on there, isn't there? As we, we stop relying on the finished work of Christ to obtain the promises of God's word. And we come to rely on ourselves to do it instead. And friends, it's, it's hard not to, isn't it? And that's because we can see what we do. We, we can measure it. We can feel pleased about it. It's living by sight instead of by faith, isn't it? Which is easier. But friends, we should see here that man's way to obtain God's promises, it just fails to deliver. And friends, maybe this morning some of us need to, uh, need to repent, need to turn away from, from trying to obtain the promises of God via our own way and, and not his If if you're not yet a Christian, you, you might be thinking that if you live your life in a in a good way, that this will be enough for you to earn what God promises in His Word. Well, this this chapter just shows us that actually we're kidding ourselves, aren't we? If we think that's true, please don't do that. It doesn't work. It will always end in disaster. What we need is God's way of getting right with him, which is through faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ who came into our world to do what we cannot do and to take our sin upon himself on the cross in our place so that we can be given as a gift the promises of God that we just cannot earn. The salvation from our sin and, and so friendship with God. And, and if we are Christians this morning, well, the call here is to keep coming back to the fact that we are people of the promise. Yes, we're living in the gap between the, the, the promise and its fulfillment. We're not in heaven yet. And so it's hard sometimes to, to keep trusting in, in the fact that, that Christ has done everything for us and there's nothing left to earn. But friends, trust him we can. We can. Because he has made a unilateral, unconditional covenant commitment to keep the promises of his word. And he's demonstrated it on the cross. And he will be faithful to his promises through every tough reality of your life and mine. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you know that it's... um, It's hard for us to keep trusting you when when we live in the gap between promise and fulfillment. Please would you forgive us for those numerous times when we we place our functional trust elsewhere in, in the tough realities of life. But thank you that your promises to us in Jesus are never defeated by our sin. Because it's Christ's work and not our work that has achieved what you promised. So please would you therefore uh, grow our trust in you and in your son for your glory's sake.